Welcome to the Green Wisdom Health Podcast with Dr. Stephen and Janet Lewis, where you will learn about natural solutions to common ailments. And now, here are your hosts, Dr. Stephen and Janet Lewis. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Green Wisdom Health Show. I'm Janet Lewis. And I'm currently texting. Which is not allowed during our show. <laughs> so we have invited our special guest back to <laughs> to answer some of your questions since Dr. Lewis is uh, preoccupied. Um, no, he's not really. He's here. Um, anyway, we have invited Casey back, who is one of our reps that help us manufacture our wonderful products that we sell to you guys. And um, he's come here a couple of times and explained the differences about some things and backed by popular demand and more products and probably coming again because I think we can't get through all of these about what makes them different from other products. And Janet just called him a rock star. I just say he's uncommonly handsome. <laughs> but, I don't know about either of those. <laughs> but we've had some some good questions come up from our audience about, um, you know, he talked about fish oil last time, which... Um, Many brought, people remembered. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, he... he um, and I learn things. I mean, every time he comes here, I learn things, too. So some of the questions are from us. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, Dr. Lewis, do you, would you like to add anything in about today's show? Well, you know me. I, I can't uh, talk without going down 17 rabbit trails. So, you know, we were going to talk about this and this, and then we changed our mind. Well, who knows? Just, you know, hit it, Casey, and we'll go from there, and I'll interject my uh, humor or idiocy uh, when it is deemed necessary. Well, let's start with, um, let's get, you know, we started, we ended, I think, last week with the, uh, or last week, the last time you were here with talking about fish oil. That's right. One of our questions that came up afterward was about krill oil because, you know, we have some patients that for some reason can't take fish oil and they think krill oil is better. And then you've got flaxseed oil that they think is great. And I'd like for you to uh, maybe explain the differences of why you think fish oil is more well-rounded. What, what's the difference? Can they get the same uh, benefits out of any of those? Yeah, um, krill oils. You know, there's always this is a, this is a big industry with a lot of money to be made. And there's always people looking to kind of carve their own little niches and and take a piece of their own little pie. And when that's exactly kind of what the uh, you know what krill oil was when it first came to market, uh, probably twelve fifteen years ago at this point. I don't know, Doctor Lewis, if you can remember. But the whole idea there is EPA and DHA, which are the two active components. Well, one of the two active components in in fish oil is actually, and this is kind of technical stuff, but it's incorporated into cell membranes as phospholipids. And when you take krill oil, you're actually consuming EPA and DHA as a phospholipid. So the thought there is that you're kind of bypassing one of these enzymatic processes in the body that's ultimately required to convert EPA and DHA into the phospholipid form, and you can just take it as krill oil. The problem with krill oil is a there's been some studies shown over a period of time it actually isn't any more effective at increasing uh, cellular levels of epa and dha but in order to achieve any type of therapeutic amount of epa and dha and again that's what you're looking for when you're taking your fish oil is high levels of epa and dha you have to take a lot of krill oil so if you flip over your 
your bottle of Krill oil, if you happen to have one there and you look at the supplement facts box, in all reality, you're probably consuming anywhere from 50 to 75, maybe 100 milligrams of EPA and DHA in your krill oil. Well, when you look at your high-quality fish oil, uh, where you're consuming EPA and DHA in amounts upwards of you know, 600, 700, 800 milligrams, you're having to take a significant uh, significant amount more of your krill than you would have to take of your fish oil. Do you have an opinion about the triglyceride form of the uh, omegas? Yeah, I mean, in short, it's the best form. Okay. Right? I mean, I Nate, that's it. that's the way when you know when you're eating your fillet of salmon, uh, nature intended these things to be delivered as triglycerides. So I think the that holds true for your supplements as well. And that's one of the important things to consider when you're buying a fish oil is when you're looking at the the ingredients or somewhere on the front of the, somewhere on that label, you want to see them specify that this is a either a uh, it's going to be specified as a reesterified triglyceride, which is basically a concentrated triglyceride, um, which is good because it avoids you having to take spoonfuls and spoonfuls and spoonfuls of fish oil to achieve therapeutic amounts. But these reesterified triglycerides are what are called bioidentical to naturally occurring triglycerides. So what that means if you take it long term, you're going to be a smartest case and as good looking as me. All I know is on lab that it it moves the triglyceride numbers. Yeah, we have we have 50, 60 years of data on omega threes now, and time and time and time again, it's always the it's always the triglyceride that wins out in the in the clinical setting. Well, then, flaxseed oil is that the same thing? I mean, there's so many people that go, well, that fish oil makes me burp. So, can right. I just do flax and get the same thing out of it? Flax oil is another way is another way again properly manufactured. You know, organic cold pressed flax oil is going to deliver omega threes, uh, EPA and DHA specifically as triglycerides. Again, therapeutic concentration is another concern, or not necessarily concern, but you're ultimately having to take more soft gels than you would probably like to to achieve a therapeutic amount of EPA and DHA. But yeah, for those who don't, you know, for whatever reason, uh, don't consume fish, don't consume meat, flax oil, in my opinion, flaxseed oil, in my opinion, would be a viable replacement. Yeah, but not a good one, and you don't convert it as well. I've read the, the chemical conversions with it, and it seems like to me, and this may not be true, but it seems like women convert it better than men. It's not that you need to get flaxseed oil out of your diet. If you do consume it, make sure it's organic, for goodness sake, but don't think it's a good quality replacement for good omegas it, it, it won't cut it yeah, i agree don't some people have a hard time converting it is that what the problem is is some people can convert it and some can't I guess. yeah well, you know like casey said it's just you have to consume way too much of it to get that and then you have to realize when your body's doing that it's expending energy trying to digest and assimilate okay so um i'll say right. touch on one thing there too you mentioned you mentioned burping Mm-hmm. Um, that's very, very common of low quality fish oils. And what's actually causing that are residual proteins left in, in the oil itself. So what some companies will do to circumvent their low quality oil is they'll, they'll put it in what's called an enteric coating. Mm. So when you go and you buy your big jugs of, you know, brand X discount <laughs> fish oil, um, and you look at the you look at the actual soft gel. It's kind of got that hard, plastically 
plasticky feel. It's you can't really see through it. It's kind of like an opaque glass stained window. That's an enteric coated fish oil. That's basically a plastic coating. And when you look at some of the things that are used to manufacture these these uh, coatings, they're not. It's not necessarily things that you want to be putting into your body. You you see similarities with uh, you know, like uh, vinyl paint products and lawn <laughs> furniture and and cleaning supplies like Windex. I, I love it when Casey's here because I can dumb it down. And this is true, and I've mentioned it before. You know, I've had the really, really good fish oil and the fish oil from that Brand X box store that Casey's very politely not calling names. My catfish preferred it about 10 to 1, the good stuff over the bad stuff. Yeah, because he Seriously. actually went and put it on the fish hook to see what the fish would would do with and it. And I, I bought some cheap stuff to, to fish on our new place with the new dock, but... Uh, yeah, the good stuff works better. Nature, know, nature knows best. Absolutely. And, and if a catfish is that smart, why in the heck are we taking the bad stuff? So enteric coatings are, it, are you saying that most of the ones that you find in the big box store, if they're enteric coated, is actually a bad kind of plastic? Is that- I, It's not something that I would consume or recommend for my family. Yeah, if you wouldn't give it to your kids, <laughs> yeah. that tells you a lot. In all reality... Um, a high quality fish oil you will not have any issues with burping and the manufacturer of that oil doesn't need to put that oil into an enteric coating and they can just use a gelatin based soft gel so your your fish oil should be uh fairly translucent and be a, a light light yellow in coloration um yeah i would say just stay away from enteric coatings in general and make and make sure that that bottle specifies that this fish oil is in uh uh, triglyceride form, and if it's not in a triglyceride, if it doesn't specify somewhere that is a, a that is a it is a triglyceride, in all likelihood it is what is called an ethyl ester. Uh, like a lot of industries, there's cheaper, faster ways to manufacture things, and that's ultimately what yields an ethyl ester. It's a cheaper, faster manufacturing process that that you wind up with a kind of semi synthetic, uh, you know, mutant omega three that the body doesn't recognize. Uh, absorb and incorporate as well and what's funny is it's not really less expensive either than the good quality that's that's what gets me it's like people think oh y'all stuff is so high we've gone into the store and and looked at what's in that bottle and our stuff is not any higher i've seen uh, multivitamins go 80 bucks a month where ours is much much less but it's higher quality and more absorbable and you know i've said several times before the most expensive vitamin in the world is the cheap one that doesn't work, and I hate to say it, but that went over people's heads. Well, yeah. and I wanted I wanted Casey to talk just a, briefly about the multivitamin and minerals. You know, he's he's excited about teaching you about phytonutrients and things. That you probably going, well, I don't know what that is, but we're going to tell you. But in a, in <laughs> she a minute, she takes them every day. That's why she looks so young. In a minute, but but really, just briefly, what is the difference between? like a multi that you're buying through us or your company right. and um versus a big box store multivitamin sure. besides, besides it's not a gummy yeah it's not <laughs> a gummy um i mean like dr lewis alluded to it all comes down to absorption and bioavailability how well can you your body actually digest and absorb the nutrients that are in these multivitamin, multiminerals, or even isolated mineral products, you know, like a like a standalone. 
magnesium. I, I really focus on the mineral content of these products. You know, you always talk about, or I just talked about cheaper and faster with fish oil. The same thing applies with uh, multivitamins and multiminerals. When you look at your <coughs> mineral content on your one-a-day tablet that you're buying from, you know, Store X again, um, <laughs> you're seeing a lot of, and you look at the forms in which these minerals are actually delivered, and there's a lot of different forms out there. You, you, you take magnesium, for instance, there's magnesium citrate, there's magnesium carbonate, there's magnesium succinate. These are all really heavy, inexpensive mineral salt forms that are very difficult for the body to digest and actually access those those minerals so in all reality you're you know you're you're largely passing these things intact <clears throat> that's um, why the the magnesium citrate you know it's hydroscopic it, it gathers water and that's why it increases bowel motility you're not getting as good absorption as you do with our mag ultra right they're generally just sit in the digestive tract and some of these things you know when you're talking about like iron and zinc they can cause a lot of gi upset if that initial phase of digestion as it's passing through passing through the stomach um, isn't able to adequately start breaking these things down. And that's the difference between a really high quality uh, multivitamin mineral is that you're going to see, like for instance, a, uh, you see a form of a, a mineral like a magnesium bisglycinate. These are all what are called chelated minerals. And essentially what that process does is it disguises these minerals as amino acids they're much gentler on the stomach they actually don't require stomach acid for that initial phase of digestion which most of you don't have enough anyway correct correct we put you on the digestive enzymes they pass into the small intestine in very very small sizes and they're absorbed through completely different mechanisms completely different pathways than you would some of these other traditional mineral salts and it is much much easier on the body you're not going to have those unpleasant GI side effects. But more importantly, you're actually going to get these minerals into your body where you want them. So the reason, uh, briefly, to take a multivitamin, multimineral, uh, and, and this is just a little list I have, vitamin E, uh, and, and it's talking about them being antioxidants and reducing inflammation. Who's not inflamed? Vitamin E from Journal of Annals of New York Academy of Science. Vitamin D, Journal of Arthritis and Rheumatology. Vitamin C, Journal of Arthritis and Rheumatology. Vitamin B and B vitamins, that's a, that's a whole podcast in itself, from Journal of American Clinical Nutrition. Vitamin A, British Journal of Nutrition. Beta Carotene, Journal of Archives of Internal Medicine. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So just throw it in. It's a good shotgun approach and and you know casey and janet and i make the educated decision about what you should take how much you should take when you should take it the best thing you can do is throw it in and ask god to bless it that's all you need is your faith which i'll get to at the end of the show well speaking a little bit of faith stuff um the probiotics, I want to discuss those a little bit with everyone because I know, you know, we've gone through some major changes again. We had, like, a lot of different probiotics. Um, COVID, just, supply chain, you know, the same old thing right. you've heard about, you know, right. price of bacon and bullets. We we uh, just switched back to a company 
which happens to be Casey's company that does the probiotics for us now. Um, part of that reason was not not because the probiotics we had were not good; it's because they went up so much in price. Uh, and you guys think that that they were high when you were buying them. We actually never even went up as high as what they told us to go up to. We just we just tried to we, find a. We took the hit. We took the hit, and we tried to find a different way. And um, I want Casey to explain now what we have, why we have some of it, and which one is best for someone. Um, we carry two. It's pretty simple now. We used to have, like, a lot. Um, we still have a couple other specialty ones. but right. we, have a, we have one called a ProBio 20, and we have one called a ProBio 100. The 100 is a lot more in cost than what the 20 is but there's a reason for that too so casey could you tell us why somebody would need each one of these probiotics what makes them different that that they are shelf stable which was a big thing for people getting uh, probiotics shipped to another state Mm -hmm. they didn't want them to come to them not cold which i get why but they were still good but we we went to a shelf stable so could you explain the differences between those two sure I think uh, speaking specifically to shelf stability, that's a really important thing when you're considering not only shipping, but also storing these things and patient compliance at home. You want to make sure that you're actually taking the products that you're purchasing. And when you're putting things in the fridge and it's getting lost behind the ketchup, you're not remembering to take your probiotic every day. So there's been a lot of advancements in in manufacturing technologies that ultimately allow us to create probiotics now that are shelf stable Uh, we were actually one of the not one of we were the first company in the practitioner channel to introduce a shelf stable probiotic and that has a lot to do with the way that these bacteria are handled pre-manufacture that ultimately allows them to be much hardier going through the manufacturing process and then we do some things from on the manufacturer's end uh, and we validate it all with something called stability testing right and all of our stability testing and this is really important are done at room temperature right so we're storing these things out in the open in the environment and what stability testing allows us to do is guarantee that what we claim is in the product so for instance with the probio 100 we're guaranteeing what the 100 means it's a hundred billion colony forming units that's your dose. Why right? would somebody need that high of a dose? Right, and I'll, I'll get to that. But we're, we're guaranteeing that those 100 billion CFUs mm-hmm. through the date of expiration that's mm. posted on the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. So we, and this is where a lot of companies run, them, run into issues. Uh, they either don't do stability testing or their stability testing program is really shoddy. Probiotics, I would say more than any other genre of products in our market, are run into a lot of issues when like consumer watchdog companies go into retail and they start pulling products off the shelf and then actually testing them and and in all reality very few of the probiotics that you're buying in retail will actually meet label claim where we're guaranteeing and what i mean by meeting label claim is like hey if they're listing that there's for simplicity a billion cfus in this product very few of those products are actually a hundred or are a billion CFUs when you take them. And then there's ways that the FDA has allowed supplement companies to actually not be uh, liable for these labels at all. 
right? So a lot Just of like times, they allow trans fats in your foods, but it can say zero trans fats. So the FDA is not the watchdog you think it is. No, not in, certainly not in our industry. Um, but, you know, there's things that we can do as a manufacturer that would basically release liability if, if someone were to test our products and we weren't meeting label claim. But we have a very robust stability uh testing program built out that allows us to not only put an expiration date on our bottle which is really really important stay away from manufacture dates um it allows us to put an expiration date on our bottle but furthermore if we were to ever get checked right if somebody actually tested our product we would meet label claim and that's what we guarantee because they're not just uh, liable to the the end consumer they're liable they answer to doctors you know chiropractors naturopaths medical doctors osteopaths pharmacies you know you don't want us on their butt and they do it right i guarantee you that's that's the manufacturer i take the large majority of my stuff from and it works well that's who they're selling to they're not putting it all over the ultimately big box stores. we we sell only to licensed healthcare practitioners so outcomes mm-hmm. are of the utmost important importance and of course one of the most important elements of that is like doctors need to know what they're giving their patients and if we're yes. not doing stability testing you have no idea what you're giving your patients and we can show it on labs so and we care mm-hmm. right yeah. going back to your question about dosing yes why why a a ProBio 20, which is 20 billion CFUs, versus a ProBio 100, which is 100 billion CFUs. We keep it really, really simple when it comes to probiotics and looking at what we feel like is the relevant clinical data as far as these products' ability to impact significant GI issues. So I'm talking Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, diverticulitis, pouchitis, etc. That's where, in, in, a, in a research setting, these higher doses of probiotics seem to be more effective. So there's a type of dose-dependent response. If you have more significant GI issues, you're going to get a much better response out of a higher-dose probiotic. It'll if, make you go to the bathroom better, right? It, probiotics are going <laughs> to improve digestion. They're going to improve elimination. They're going to improve a lot of different uh, factors as it relates to both digestive function but also immune function. And, and now we're even looking at, like, mental health issues well that's the truth i know and i know dr lewis likes the probile 20 because of the saccharomyces boulardii in it and who who even knows what that is i do oh then why do you like that well because i've seen people that come out from the hospital and say well i'm infected with c diff and i've spent ten thousand dollars and they look like an emaciated corpse that's still barely walking through and they're and we know they're close to you know seeing jesus and we put them on massive doses of Saccharomyces boulardii because it is known to go in and grab pathogenic viruses, yeast, fungus, and pathogenic bacteria. And it doesn't even create a colony in the GI tract. It grabs and adheres to the pathogenic uh, microorganisms and carries it out through the bowel movements. And within about a month or two, these people feel great. Well, the sweet little couple that bought, bought our last house... Um, they called and said, well, so-and-so, she's really, really sick. And we said, well, da-da-da, what's going on? And he says, well, Rose has got C. diff. And I said, get over here now. So they bring their golf cart over to our house. And we dosed them up on that and a few other things, uh, which are manufactured by this company, Casey represents. Our SBI Spore. Yeah, SBI. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I say, well, they usually get well within a month or two. Two days later, Rose called and says, oh, my God, I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's in love with us. 
Yes. That's why we we live in such a high exposure environment where we're constantly being exposed to different bugs. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why we have Saccharomyces boulardii. We're we're one of the few companies that actually include it in a a daily maintenance (coughs) probiotic. You yes. mentioned its binding capacity. When you when you when you take Sac B, it doesn't colonize. It quickly, it actually pretty quickly moves through the digestive tract. About two or three days, it's in and out of you, which is why it's important. You only get the benefit of Saccharomyces boulardii while you're taking Saccharomyces boulardii, so it's important to take it long term. I take it every day. Yeah, it's a great it's a great addition to anybody's daily regimen um, but while it's in there it's it's binding to a bunch of things that you don't want hanging around and it's getting them out of the body rather than having these things adhere and and wreak the havoc that they can well and you know casey mentioned uh, also mental health and i could get into the research of that if i could look it up i've got a million notes here but and i've talked about this before that the uh what was it? The the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 1908 was for the work on probiotics that inhi- inhibits uh, inhabits our intestines. If you want to know the importance of probiotics, read the Skinny Gut Diet. That's kind of the the easy to read. The Microbiome Diet, 10% Human, or the Second Brain. Read one or, or all of those books, and you'll go holy cow. Because if you were to boil down the DNA of a human body, 90% of it would be DNA from microorganisms. We're 90% microorganisms, and you need to make sure it's the really good ones. Because if you have the improper ratio of bad to good, then that in and of itself can repress the uh, P450 pathway of detoxification. And as Casey's already said, we have an environment full of toxins and pathogens, and we need something that's able to clean it up. Well, let's hire these bacteria to do it for us. And yes, it has a lot to do with mental health. Well, and the SAC B, the Saccharomyces, also helps with yeast does it not? Like, right. I have a lot of women that take it for yeast infections. Mm-hmm. And, and um, husbands buy us chocolates because their wives feel so much better. And it keeps them from craving, Liter- like, literally. <laughs> the bad sugars and things. Yeah. And having, it improves your diet. So it helps with weight loss. <laughs> it, it binds to a lot of different things that we don't want hanging around, yeast being one of them. Okay, and I had another question. It won't get rid of pathogenic teenagers, however. <laughs> Uh, we had a question about um, turmeric. You know, turmeric's um, good at joint pain and many other things. But uh, there have been so many people that have asked, well, I get the turmeric with the black pepper in it because it works better. So the question is, does black pepper mixed with turmeric make that product work better? The, sh- the short answer to that is probably not. We stay away from black pepper extract or bioparine as a manufacturer. There's a lot of, uh, put it lightly, safety concerns with black pepper extract. Uh, so much of everything in medicine is is looked at in, in a vacuum, and turmeric's no exception to that. All we focus on is the, and it's not actually doesn't just apply to turmeric. It's a lot of different phytonutrients. Now, all we all we all we are focused on is increasing absorption right? It's absorption, absorption, absorption. We want to, or or companies want to be able to say that their product is more absorbable. Like how much of this, when you swallow this capsule is actually getting into the bloodstream. One way that you can, that you can increase absorption or increase bioavailability is to use something like black pepper extract. 
It's not necessarily a good thing, though, when you look at the big picture. Again, yes, when you're just looking at turmeric in a vacuum, it can be perceived as a good thing when it comes to absorption. Basically, what black pepper extract does is when you swallow turmeric and it gets absorbed into the bloodstream, the body wants to quickly detoxify it, right? Detoxification is really, really important. What black pepper extract does is is it actually blocks specific like Dr. Lewis mentioned, cytochrome P450 enzyme, CYP3A4, which is responsible for detoxifying turmeric from the bloodstream. Now, that's all well and good. If you want to keep more turmeric hanging around longer, you can block this enzyme, and voila, you have more turmeric hanging around longer, or let's say metabolites of turmeric. Um, but the downside of that is there is a whole host of literally dozens, hundreds of other compounds, hormones, etc., that rely, medications, that rely on these, this specific enzyme to be properly detoxified from the body. So yes, while you might be able to increase serum levels of turmeric post-ingestion, you're also inadvertently keeping some of these things that you don't want hanging around, hanging around longer when you use black pepper extract. It also, another thing, is also, it, it in, actually induces intestinal permeability, which isn't necessarily a good thing. Tell me about intestinal permeability for people that don't understand what that means. And it's basically when you know, your body has a a gut barrier, which technically the inside of your gut lumen, right, what your food moves through, is considered outside of the body, though it's inside of the body. There is a single there is a a single cell thin layer that keeps all of that stuff that's supposed to stay inside the digestive tract from getting into the body. When you have intestinal permeability, you have damaged cells, you have loosened what are called tight junctions, which are basically the spaces in between these cells. When that happens, now you have kind of this unchecked flow of things that you don't want necessarily getting into the body, now getting into the body. And these are all being exposed to the immune system. And so they're contributing to, in a lot of instances, they're contributing to immune dysfunction and inflammation and so you're saying the black pepper actually agitates it? Black pepper will induce permeability. And, and again, looking at turmeric in a vacuum, one way that you can increase absorption of turmeric is you can kind of, you can kind of, uh, you know, you can break down that gut barrier and allow more turmeric to get into the body. But, you know, it's you're not accounting for the also potential negative side effects. Of just, just to put it in a category, do you know what else actually increases permeability? Toxic environment, bad diet stress, even if that's mental, uh, pathogenic, mutating bacteria, yeast, fungus, virus, you know, the microorganisms. Gluten. So you're putting gluten, holy cow, that's a big one for me. So black pepper's like kerosene being dropped on it. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, when I was a kid, I would squirt gasoline at a fire, but thank God I didn't get burned. Yes, ma'am, kerosene, I can't believe you'd pull that out, but all I know about is diesel and gasoline, but uh, yeah. Uh, so black pepper is not necessarily a good thing. Okay, so we did not get through very much of this like I <laughs> thought we would. I, I, there were women that had questions about collagen, and my understanding is you have a whole lot of information about collagen. So could we ask you to come back again? And I guess we'll just take a few products at a time until we can educate everyone about what the differences are and why they're why they're put together the way they are. Oh, we can definitely talk about I love I love talking about collagen. That's a whole episode on its own. <laughs> well, women just want their hair to grow and their face to look great. So, um, we can help their faces look great in there. 
it, it, it helps elasticity in a lot of things. Also, it's very important in eye health because when you lose that elasticity in your eyeballs, you're going to increase your risk of glaucoma and several other eye diseases. So collagen's very, very good for eye health. Okay. Janet's looking at me like, where'd you pull that no, out of? Good. I said, honey, don't, don't ask. <laughs> so we got collagen on the table for the next time, and we'd like for you guys to write in, call, tell Dr. Lewis on your consultations with him what you'd like Casey to discuss because I know y'all are probably over there with a pen and paper going, I don't know what he just said. I need to rewind this again. So it's really good information as usual. And um, for those of you that don't know what we do and you're hearing all this and don't know where to start, go to our website, uh, greenwisdomhealth.com. Fill out the health survey. We actually do labs so that we're not guessing at what you need for your products. And for those of you that need to do your lab again, please do it before the winter hits. Uh, because that's when the darkness is more out and you need more health. Make sure your lab numbers are optimal. And for those of you that's never done this, get started now. There's no time like the present. That's why it's called the present. And Dr. Liss, could you lead us to the closing with a, with, I feel like I'm in a sermon. A smart, uh, a smart aleckism. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, give us a, a closing, please. You know, I, one of the things I ask people very often is, what broke your happy maker? We're living in a, a world of a little bit increased or a whole lot increased stress. And, well, one thing you can do is think differently. Yeah, I'm kind of paranoid in reverse. I kind of suspect that people and events and circumstances are going to throw down, be thrown down from the universe and blessing uh, Janet and me. And it happens that way. Uh, only love is real. I've, I've said something before that... Uh, Nothing unreal exists, and that in itself, you know, is is the peace of God, so to speak. So, you know, anything that interferes with your thought processes that keep you happy, ditch it, dump it, leave it. We were here to be healthy and happy. One of the things I would like for you to always remember is a good doctor can heal you from these diseases, but a great doctor is the one that teaches you that your body can heal itself and how to get there. Right. We hope you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We are grateful for y'all, y'all, you, up north. Speak Southern. (laughs) And we'll be here next time on the Green Wisdom Health Show. Once again, our show has come to an end, but your hope in your health is only beginning. If you or a loved one are in need of a different outcome and are waiting for a brighter future, take the first step and go to our website and fill out the health survey. Please don't keep us a secret. If you know someone that could benefit from this podcast, please share this show with your friends and family. You are only one step away from a life worth living.